welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Welcome, everybody, to Fantasy Baseball Today, Monday, June 22nd. Well, actually, we're, we're recording the night before. Spoiler alert. Frank Stample here with Adam Azer and Scott White. Hope you both had a wonderful Father's Day. I want to wish a happy Father's Day to all the great dads out there. Big weekend for you, Adam, between Father's Day, your birthday. Get any cool gifts? Zero. Zero gifts. Absolutely nothing. Are you serious? Kinda, yeah, nothing. It was... Uh, I ranked this birthday. I'm 36 years old. I ranked this one 36. It was uh, it was such a bad birthday. All right. Well, we're off on a great foot here. <laughs> that, so that, bad. that happened my birthday after our second child, too. It's just like there there was nary an acknowledgement of it even. Like it was just so you were just so in it with the, the newborn at that point, you know, that like nobody has, nobody has any time to recognize. You. What are you talking about? Nobody has the energy for that. Also, is that, is that know, basically what it was? Well, pandemic, you know, nobody, even if they had time to recognize yeah. it, they couldn't. Uh, my, my newborn had a horrible night. She's just screaming yeah. the whole night. My son oh my skipped gosh. his nap. He was a mess. I didn't get the pizza I wanted. I didn't get the dessert I wanted. I spent three and a half hours building an Ikea piece of furniture. Uh, um, yes. That was done at 3.30 in the morning. And Oof. then we realized we couldn't mount it. to the, We couldn't attach it to the wall, blah, blah, blah. So that was a waste of time. And then oh, um, I forgot to put litter in my cat's litter box. So she pissed behind the television at at oh, the that stuff smells wow. awful. Wow, that is uh, wow. That is a like. I'm not sure what the worst part of that is. Like the IKEA, like putting. T- it's one thing putting together the IKEA furniture, but then deciding it's not going to work after you do that. <laughs> it was so. It was, and then the cat just topped it off. That, Technically, like, that was on June 20th, so it wasn't even my birthday anymore. So. Was it on like carpet or was it on some kind of like tile or? It was on like a kind of fake hardwood floor kind of deal and um, on some wires, you know, right on these wires. I'm (laughs) sorry, Adam. (laughs) I'm so sorry. You know what? It's okay. Um, It wasn't that bad. It was just like it had just been a normal night. Whatever. Uh, the fact that it was my birthday it was like, wow, this is almost funny. We've been laughing about it all weekend, but it was fine. You know, I have a great family. We made the best of it. We laughed about it. That's what we do. Let's talk. Let's talk more baseball, Frank. Oh wait, I uh, I might have that somewhere. There you go. Let's talk more baseball. <laughs> not that I want to make your weekend worse, Adam, but uh, your bold prediction did not come true. Also, ba- yeah, that. baseball is not back. You predicted it would return on Saturday, so uh, unfortunately, we're still here waiting. Today on the show, we're going to continue looking at Scott White's dynasty rankings. Today, we're going to focus on the corner infield positions, first base and third base. But I did want to start with this. In honor of Father's Day, I wanted to ask you guys, who is your favorite second-generation baseball player to draft this season? Scott, we'll start with you. Oh, yes, because I have such a good answer prepared for that. Second-generation <laughs> baseball player, my favorite. Um, uh, I'm probably forgetting somebody... But I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Kevin Biggio. I like 
Like if I miss out on the early round steel sources, I feel like he's a fairly bankable one in the middle round range and second base. I often have a need for it still at that point. So it's, yeah, I find myself drafting a fair amount of Kevin Biggio, son of Craig Biggio, Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah, you could basically just go up and down the Blue Jays lineup and just choose whoever you want from there. That was, um, the, that was the, yeah, that was the trick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. When it comes to uh, Kevin Biggio, Scott, do you typically only target him in head-to-head points or potentially leagues with OBP? Because obviously he takes the hit with, with batting average in, in Roto and head-to-head categories. Uh, no, I, I act like I, I referenced the stolen bases. I think that's, right. that's the most valuable thing he brings to the table. He does walk a lot, so I don't know that his value is that much worse in a points league. Uh, but yeah, the stolen bases are the main thing I'm looking at. I, liability for batting average, sure, but... You know, if he gets you 250, 260 with a 20, 20 pace, maybe even a 25, 25 pace, that'll still be pretty valuable. I think I know who Adam's answer might be, but let's find out anyway. Adam, what do you think? Second it's generation Vlad. baseball player. It's Vlad. Yeah. But he's only going seven spots ahead of Bichette. And Bichette had a great year. Vlad really didn't. So I, I Bichette's been someone that I haven't really drafted, but it's one of those guys where I wish I'd had a little bit more of him. Um, but uh, Vlad, you look, it's blind. We've said it time and time again, it's kind of a blind faith thing. I, I think he could have a Devers-type season. Not going as late as Devers was last year, but yeah, 60th overall in ADP. I really would like to have some Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, yeah. Is it a problem that... Wait a second. Did Ronald Acuna's dad play Major League Baseball or just Minor League? I don't think he played Major League Baseball. I have a page pulled up with all the second-generation players, and Ronald Acuna okay. is not okay. mentioned Never mind. on this list. And we should say, like, this is not who we're taking first. Oh, yeah. That's obviously second-generation players that we though. do like. Yeah. Uh, again, Kevin Biggio is being drafted. That was Scott's pick. He's going 126.2, and Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going 58.8. I've actually been warming up more to Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, just based on what I'm trying to do now with the shortened season, I want really high upside hitters in a shortened season, and I think that's exactly who Fernando Tatis Jr. is. He was obviously ridiculous last year in his age 20 season, 22 homers, 16 steals, 84 games. That's a 42 homer, 30 steal pace. I don't think he's going to come close to doing that type of, you know, replicating those numbers again. And the 410 BABIP is not sustainable. But I thought this was interesting. When he does put the ball in the air, he makes really, really good contact. His 8.1% barrels per plate appearance and 95.8 mile per hour average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives were both second at the shortstop position last year. So I'm coming around a little bit more on Fernando Tatis Jr. and taking him in the second round where you need to, obviously, in order to get him on your team. But do you take him instead of, like, Freddie Freeman or Jose Ramirez? No, because I think I might do it over Freeman. I think he has, in Roto at least, more upside than Freeman because of the steals. But with Jose Ramirez, you kind of want him to do what you've seen Jose Ramirez do already. So I wouldn't take him over Jose Ramirez, but um, in Roto, I would take him over Freddie Freeman. Points League, probably can't take him over Freddie Freeman. But in- oh, dude, you can't even think about it <laughs> in a points league. <laughs> nah, can't do it. News and notes. 
I mentioned that we are recording this uh, on the night, Sunday, June 21st. So some more news might come out by tomorrow. But the latest that we have regarding the season and what's going to happen uh, this year is that 40 players and staff members have tested positive for COVID-19 across baseball. Certainly makes things you know, more complicated. It's, we're running out of time here. And now we're talking about players potentially being quarantined for the next couple of weeks before we get a spring training, if we get a spring training. So the latest we have, this is the latest news that we have and certainly doesn't help guys. It, it doesn't help. It adds, you know, an, an extra obstacle when it didn't seem like there needed to be any more. Uh, I, I don't know that it's the biggest obstacle uh, ne- necessarily that it becomes that. I think it still seems like agreeing on number of games and uh, amount of payment is still the biggest hurdle that these two sides have to clear to bring us baseball. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it, it definitely doesn't help. Like you say, um, I don't think anybody was under the illusion that nobody would ever get it if things did start up. So, you know, hopefully there are, there are plans in place to accommodate it. And, and, and the, you know, with the training sites being open in Florida and Arizona and the, the people who were showing up there, there, there apparently wasn't a lot of procedures in place yet for that. It was kind of just a free for all is my understanding. So uh, when things officially open for training, which now seems like it'll be at all the major league sites, um, you know, hopefully there are policies in place to help prevent these sort of, uh, mini outbreaks. Yeah. And 60 games seems the most likely as of now, obviously every day that passes, it's, you know, we're getting further away from that 70 number that the players were trying to propose and anything more than 60 games. So that seems the most likely at this point, Adam, can we just place players who get COVID like on the IL? Is that what's, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I assume that's because players are going to catch it. Like it's inevitable. It's going to happen throughout the course yeah. of the season. If they're not officially put on the IL, then I think they would be. But if they aren't, then yeah, your commissioner needs to allow that in your fantasy league. You absolutely should not have to use a roster spot on someone who has to miss time because of the virus. They definitely should be able to be put in an IL spot. And and you probably want to increase your IL spots this year. I, I think you probably should have at least four. Um, you know. Yeah, I think at least four IL spots. I'll make those. Ch- I'll make that change right now in the leagues that I'm the commissioner of. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, because it's going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah, it is unfortunate. All right, let's move into some of these dynasty rankings. Scott's been posting these up at CBSSports.com. Last week we talked about starting pitcher and outfield. Today we're going to look at the corner infield positions, first base and third base. Before we get into the actual first base rankings here, Scott, should we be targeting? a first baseman earlier in dynasty startups? Should they be more of a priority? Or if you're already in a dynasty league and you don't have an elite first baseman or a first baseman that you trust, should you be going out and seeking one via trade? Because, I mean, it's evident in redraft, but I think even more so in dynasty, first base is a shallow position. We don't really have a lot of prospects here that we're excited about, you know, outside of maybe Andrew Vaughn, who is someone we talked about last week. Yeah, that's that's always true at first base. Like first, especially in an era of uh, versatility where that's so widely valued. Like a, a prospect 
begins somewhere else. We saw with with the Tigers where they're playing Spencer Torkelson, announcing him as, as a third baseman. You you try your hand at a at a defensive uh, position that's more difficult to fill, and then you move to first base once you prove that you can't handle it. Or, you know, maybe the system gets overloaded at some spot and your only path to the majors becomes first base. It's an easy position to fall back on. And there will be like it, it there's not going to, because it's, because it's uh, not a dif, not considered a difficult, a premium position defensively at the major league level. It's not like teams are suddenly going to have these glove first guys manning first base and like production's going to be lacking at that position. It will always be a spot that they could move another bat. Um, so I don't think it makes sense to emphasize first baseman, true first baseman like Andrew Vaughn in a dynasty league because out of like position scarcity situation. Uh, but it does make it difficult to kind of pin down exactly which players will make that move to first base and become eligible there in the future, even though I have no doubt that a lot of prospects that we think of as manning other positions now will ultimately end up at first base. As I mentioned last week, Scott's uh, with Scott's starting pitcher and outfield ranks, he used a rating system, um, which, you know, you have a scale, a, uh, a one to five scale here uh, for present value, for future value, and your own personal confidence in each player. So we talked a little bit about that last week. So let's... Specific, let, me, let me clarify the confidence yep. rating, first of all, because I'm sure it's going to come into play here. The confidence rating is how confident I am in him meeting both his immediate and his long-term value. So it's it's not just this kind of nebulous confidence rating. It's It's dependent on what I'm giving him for present value and future value as well. Let's jump into these rankings. We'll start here at 20, and the top 30 rankings are on CBSSports.com. But 20, and working our way towards number one, you have Yuli Gurriel, Danny Santana at 19, Evan White at 18, Ryan Mountcastle, 17, Nate Lowe, 16, Luke Voigt at 15, Carlos Santana at 14, Jose Abreu at 13, Paul Goldschmidt at 12, and Yasmani Grandal, who of course has first base eligibility, will be at number 11. Yeah, no, nobody's nobody's keeping him at first base. Uh, yeah, we, we, I, that I goes him there because he's eligible. That yeah. normally goes without saying, but I did want to just reiterate that point. Even yeah, in redraft yeah. leagues, like, don't don't ever use a catcher at first base. Like you just put yourself at such, such a disadvantage because they play so much less than you know your normal first baseman who is likely expected to play every single day. So just don't do that. Don't play a catcher out of position. It's just not smart. The names that. Stand out to me first and foremost here, Scott, are uh, Nate Lowe, Ryan Mountcastle, and Evan White. How did you go about differentiating those three who are regarded as, nah, I don't want to say top prospects, prospects, but they are prospects at the first base position. Yeah, I mean, Nate Lowe is technically exhausted rookie eligibility, so he doesn't show up in prospect rankings anymore. Uh, they're all a little different. They're all a little different. I think actually Nate Lowe is the uh, the most volatile of the three, but I also think he has the highest upside. He's the one who I think could hit for average and a lot of power. He's the one that could get on base a ton. I worry about his path to the majors with all the redundancies that the Rays have. And uh, it's just not as the profile doesn't, 
is just a little murkier. It's a little murkier. It's a little murkier all around, but I, I like him for the upside. So I have him the highest of the three. I have Evan White, the lowest of the three, though. He might be the safest of them. He is a great athlete, a great defender. Uh, even though I said a bunch of glove first white guys weren't going to be at first base. He seems like one who will. Uh, but like he also has a really good hit tool. It's just questionable how much power he's going to hit for, and especially playing his home games at Safeco Field or T-Mobile Park, I guess it's called now in Seattle, where uh, you know it's a difficult place to hit home runs already. He has improved his launch angle over the past couple of years, but not with like huge returns power-wise in the minors, just you know slight increases. So I, I do have a higher confidence rating. I give him a higher confidence rating than I give the other two, but upside, he has a lower grade because of that. Yeah, and Evan White already signed a contract extension, correct, with the Mariners? Yes. So he is expected yes. to, if there is a season, he'll be up in the, at, at the major league level with the Mariners playing likely every single day because he is a great defender, as Scott mentioned. And last year... In double A, Evan White, 293 batting average with an 838 OPS, 18 homers, and 55 RBI. I want to move on to you have Luke Voigt at number 15 and Adam sporting the Yankee shirt, Derek Jeter shirt. This is, uh, you know, the time of the show where we get to, you know, get our punches in on Sky. We get to, you know, critique his rankings a little bit more here. Adam, do you think Luke Voigt should be higher than 15 here? Not really. So right ahead, just ahead of him, Carlos Santana, Jose Abreu, Paul Goldschmidt, Yasmani Grandal. I would, I would take him over Grandal, I guess. I'd, I think Grandal is too high. I'd probably put him 15th. Um, the rest is fine. I mean, Voigt's the youngest, right? Voigt's 29. He's definitely younger than Abreu and Goldschmidt. How old is Santana? Santana's 34. So Santana's yeah. actually the oldest of that. Okay. So Voigt's group. by far the youngest. Also, just like and, and yet, Voigt's not young, which is no, part of the consideration yeah. here. He's only he's already twenty nine. So you know the three the three ratings I give out are present value, future value, confidence, and uh, future value. I couldn't I couldn't really give him a higher future value than I give him present value because I don't know how much future he has. Yeah, it doesn't seem like the Yankees are super committed to him. I I think it's definitely going to be his job to lose, and he's done enough good things, but he's not a great player i you know he should he should be ahead of grandall i would i think grandall's four spots too high but that's fine whatever um the other guys i you know what he let's put him ahead of santana let's go goldschmidt abreu voigt santana grandall that's the way it should be scott you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) adam's out here doing scott's job for him first 78 games last year for luke voigt before he got hurt. I know this is something Chris talks about a lot. 17 home runs, 53 runs scored, and 50 RBI with a 14% walk rate, a 901 OPS for Luke Voigt in his first 78 games. So he was ridiculous, and he's a very good offensive player. But, you're right. I mean, the Yankees haven't, you know, been completely um, sold, I guess is the way to put it, on him uh, long-term there. So we'll see. You just kind of play it year by year with Luke Voigt. But... I think when he's when he's healthy, when he plays, he's going to be pretty damn well, good. Yeah, but the thing about Voigt is that those ninety four games. I mean, what was the OPS again? It was his first seventy eight games and nine hundred one OPS. Oh, 78 games. Okay, I mean that's even better. First ninety four games before his injury, he had an abdominal strain. 
He had an 885 OPS. That's really good, but he had a 392 OBP. He's on pace for 33 home runs, which is good, but not great last year. I mean, I think Paul Goldschmidt hit 32 home runs, 94 RBIs, 104 runs in 162 games. That's good, but Voigt's OPS is raised by his OBP. He's not going to have a very good batting average. And like a 33 homer pace in 162 games last year was, you know, it's okay. I don't know that he's going to have like a great batting average, but he should have a decent batting average. It's it's 270 ish. Maybe it's a high line drive rate um, that he's, you know, proven for, for more than just a partial season now. Like if you combine his numbers from the end of 2018 and then the first half of 2019, so like from the time he joined the Yankees in 2018, the first half of 2019 before the yeah. before the core injury, um, I mean it it was a monster. <laughs> right, right, but, but that's I we were just like, talking about that with Mike Miner. Yeah, you take his second half of well, but there was a clear there was a clear. Yeah. We know what happened. Attributing the core injury, You're right? And yeah. collapsing down the stretch, Voigt collapsing down the stretch last year. I like Luke Voigt. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I don't know how if the Yankees do. It's That's, yeah. weird. Yeah. And they just have so many al- so many alternatives they could use there if if they're not totally committed to him. And you know, 29 I, I mean players as a general rule they don't age well. We don't see of course there are the Nelson Cruzes out there. There are um you know, there are a handful of guys you could point to. Say look how look how how he ma- maintained elite production into his late 30s. But you know, ever since the steroids ended, era, ever since the steroids era ended, you don't see a lot of that. I mean, players at any position could drop off at age thirty-two or whatever. It's not it's not common to maintain that production late into a career. Let's move on to the top ten first base dynasty ranks here for Scott White. Number ten, Andrew Vaughn. Number nine, DJ LeMahieu. Eight, Reese Hoskins. Seven, Max Muncie. Six. Matt Olson, then the top five, Josh Bell, Anthony Rizzo, Pete Alonzo, Freddie Freeman, and numero uno, Cody Bellinger. Scott, I did want to ask you, um, you know, in terms of having Andrew Vaughn and DJ LeMahieu back-to-back, those are, you know, two that stand out to me because you're talking about Vaughn, who's 22 years old, regarded as one of the top prospects in the game, the best first-base prospect. And we talked about his upside last week as a a potential future first-round pick for fantasy purposes, uh, and you have DJ LeMahieu one spot ahead of him, who is 31 years old. So just talk a little bit about uh, your process for DJ LeMahieu over Andrew Vaughn. Well, you know, I'm especially high on, maybe you don't know, because you joined us later in the game, but I'm especially high on DJ LeMahieu, I think, compared to the average average fantasy player out there. Uh, I am not excluding the the impact that him having second base eligible eligibility him having third base eligibility right uh, him having that versatility uh, the impact that has on his present value and so he earns a very high present value rating I mean he's borderline elite in my eyes at uh, two of the more difficult positions to fill and then a third just in case you need him to move to third base at some point so that present value rating. Uh, gives him an equal score to Andrew Vaughn. Um, and so then it just becomes a matter of preference. And, uh, you know, depending on how exactly your dynasty league is set up, if it's keep everybody keep everybody forever on equal terms or keep the prospect for much cheaper than you keep the proven guy, 
it's one of those scenarios that I, I probably do move on ahead of LeMayhew. But if it's if it's something not quite so extreme in its keeper policies, then I think I'd rather I'd rather uh, make the investment in LeMayhew and trust I could get three or four good years out of him. Well, how do you how does this how does the fact that LeMayhew may not be first base eligible after this year factor into your rankings? Do you consider that? Um, I'm not sure I specifically considered it in his case because I think second base eligibility is more important. Yeah, uh, but if you're if you're trying to make a trade for your your future first baseman in dynasty, yeah. I guess you got to consider that with LeMayhew. Maybe he will. Maybe yeah, he'll get the. Yeah, I mean you. Ha- you should yeah. somebody out there who's planning for on filling their first base spot. Um, yeah, yeah, they have to consider that with Lemayhew, of course. Although it's, you know, the standard for him regaining first base eligibility, uh, it's not going to happen this year. It's not going to happen this year. <laughs> not going to get unless eligibility requirements have changed. Yes, but uh, we have to change them. Uh, yeah, yeah it has to change sure. in a short. I, I'm I don't not know. sure what the perfect solution is there. Because right. I think like just making it one or two games to gain eligibility to position is too low of a threshold. There could be some fluky thing that well, happens. we at the very least we have to change the into next season. Like yeah. as it is yeah, now, you need definitely. 20 20 appearances at a position to get eligibility next season. We gotta make right. that 10, right? Let's just just make it 10. At least. I I mean eight at most eight, 10. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking five, but that's probably too little. Five, yeah, I mean, five come on, Frank. <laughs> well, I think five in a 50 game season would be totally fine. Yeah. Like maybe you don't yeah. change the end season requirement. Maybe instead of five and 20, it's five and five. Like I, I would be okay with that given how yeah, short the season's going to be. Um, but 10, 10 would be better than 20. 20 does seem like an impossible stand. Like nobody's going to be multi eligible next year. If you make it. Wouldn't make that it be 20. fun? Wouldn't that change things? Yeah, it would really change things. It certainly it might would. be kind of fun, but uh, we should. Do, what do you think, Frank? I think we should. <laughs> we should do a league where players are only eligible at their primary position. I wouldn't be opposed to it. I know in yeah. best ball leagues you can only, or in some best ball leagues you can only score for a certain whatever your main position is. So you don't have position eligibility. So let's do it. Let's make it happen, right. Adam. <laughs> At number five and number six in the in the first base ranks here, uh, go right back to you here, Adam. Matt Olson versus Josh Bell. They both have a four for present value, a four for future value, and a three confidence rating from Scott. Um, and I think both of these players, Josh Bell and Matt Olson, they flashed their upside last season. We also saw some of their flaws. Obviously, Olson struggles against left-handed pitching. He has some bad splits at home. Josh Bell had that, you know, two-month stretch where he was abysmal, to be honest. So who would you rather have between Matt Olson and Josh Bell, Adam? I'd rather have Josh Bell. I'm pretty high on Josh Bell. Uh, I think Scott's done a really good job making the case for him this year as kind of a sleeper might be a stretch. He's not that late, but undervalued. And I, I feel the way I feel about Bell and seasonal is is basically how I feel about him in Dynasty, I think. He's really good, and he erupted last year, and he struggled a little bit, has to make some adjustments, and hopefully he will, but there's so much potential, and I do think the two things that you mentioned for Olsen, the left-handedness, the home ballpark, not that Bell plays in a great park or anything, but I think they're going to hold him back just enough to give me Josh Bell with the edge over Olsen. Fair enough. I want to take a quick break there. 
Uh, when we come back, we will talk about our third base rankings real quick. Just want to remind everyone, you can watch us now on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel live right now. You see what we look like here. We're having fun. The link is in the podcast description and you can just search for Fantasy Baseball Today on YouTube as well. Uh, constantly tweeting out the link so you can find it there uh, and continue to leave those five-star Apple podcast reviews. Tell a friend to tell a friend about Fantasy Baseball Today. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll look at Scott White's third base ranks in Dynasty Leagues. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Already we're back here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Scott White's third base dynasty ranks. And before we get into the top 20 here, Scott, I do just want to point out that you have Josh Donaldson at 21. And I get it in dynasty. You know, he's 34 years old. The injuries you know, have been an issue, but 37 home runs last year, the batted ball data, still pretty good. Is it more so the injuries than anything, Scott, that he doesn't climb inside your top 20? Oh, I am not confident two years from now, Donaldson's going to be a, uh, you know, a, a reliable fantasy contributor, a high-end fantasy contributor. So dynasty value, he, like, he's one of the players whose value takes in my mind, the biggest hit in Dynasty because, yeah, the age and the injury history. I mean, at this, uh, well, not at this time last year, but heading into last season, nobody really knew what to expect from him then either because uh, he was banged up so much that year spent, split between the Blue Jays and, and Indians and didn't produce that well when he did play. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not, like, I, I give him a one for long-term value. I would give just about every 34-year-old a one for long-term value, but I, I feel even more confident giving it to him. And by the way, part of it's just the depth at third base. I have him I have him uh, 21st in these dynasty rankings at the position. In redraft leagues, I have him 15th. So that, that's part of it, too. Top 20 and working our way towards number one. Ryan McMahon at 20. Tommy Edmond. J.D. Davis, surprised he's not higher. No, I'm just kidding. Mike Moustakis, Alec Baum at 16, Miguel Sano at 15, D.J. LeMahieu, 14, Jeff McNeil, Max Muncie, and Eugenio Suarez. That's 20 through 11 in Scott White's top 20 third base dynasty ranks here. And the only prospect inside the top 20 here, Scott, 
to the surprise of nobody, is Alec Baum, someone that you talk about a lot, someone that you do like. So why don't you remind everybody why you do like uh, Alec Baum as much as you do? I think he has a really good hit tool and he has really good plate discipline. And I think at a time when power is so easily cultivated, those are the main things I, I covet in a prospect. Plate discipline, it's, it's always the hardest thing to teach. He doesn't strike out much. He walks a ton. And then hit tool, his ability to hit the ball the opposite way, to uh, make hard contact. He started elevating better last year, which is why we saw an increase in power. He certainly has the size to develop into a power hitter. I think he's like 6'5". Uh, so, you know, if he continues to add loft to that swing, that that could be a, a big part of his skill set. But like I said, power is easy to cultivate. So I'm not even... I wouldn't be that worried about it, even if he didn't show that power increase last year. It's just everything else he has going for him. Uh, rates as about as good as about as good as it gets from a minor leaguer, frankly. And I, I think the upside is somewhere in the neighborhood of like Anthony Rendon. Certainly he could fall short of that. That's that's the dream scenario. But I, I think it's also a plausible one for Alec Baum. Again, that is Baum, and he was the third overall pick for the Philadelphia Phillies back in 2018. 23 years old, last year across three different levels. Single A, high A, and double A. He hit 305 with, a, with an 896 OPS, 21 homers, and has never had a strikeout rate higher than 15.7%. So, Alec Baum, definitely an interesting uh, prospect, the way that he blends together plate discipline, contact, and power. Adam, I think one of the ultimate wild cards, just in general, but more so in Dynasty Leagues, is Miguel Sano, who is ranked uh, 15th here in Scott's third base ranks uh, for Dynasty. And we know what the upside is. I mean, we were reminded of it last year. 34 home runs in, in you know, just over 100 games. He was on pace for 52 home runs last season over the course of a full season. He's had off-field issues, you know, currently dealing with some stuff right now. Uh, he's dealt with a lot of injuries. How do you handle Miguel Sano in a, in a dynasty league, Adam? I would take him over DJ LeMayhew and probably and Jeff McNeil. I would have him a couple spots ahead. And I'm number eleven is actually very interesting to me too. And Eugenio Suarez. That that's a guy that he doesn't really do much other than Homer. So I feel like there's a chance that his career just sort of craters. But Obviously, I guess <laughs> compared you can say to this, Miguel Sano, no, I, I guess <laughs> Sano for sure. Sano's younger um, by a year, not a lot younger. Yeah, you know, I was a lot better in everything I did a year ago than I was than I am now, Scott. Uh, that's because of the after, second kid. Yeah, especially after the birthday I just had. <laughs> uh, no, this is a really tough group. What do you do with Sano? It's 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 a high risk, high high reward player. Um, you could probably value him a little bit differently depending on your format. In points leagues, he's, his strikes strikes out just so much that it's going to be hard for him to be that good. Uh, again, oh well, yeah. Sorry, you actually were talking about yeah. Miguel. No, sorry, no, sorry. No. You you harp on Eugenio Suarez's strikeout rate so often. I thought you switched back. My bad. No. <laughs> do I really? Uh, okay. Um, it's a tough question to answer, Frank. I mean, he is an, the ultimate wild card. He definitely does not belong in the top ten, but I could see him going anywhere from eleven to fifteen where he is now. And I below that too. He could go below that, but no higher than the top ten. He's just he's just got too much going on and too much negative there. But there's obviously enticing upside. 
Scott, we talked about DJ LeMahieu at the uh, first base position, and he was ranked inside your top 10 there, and he's here at 14. So, again, that just kind of speaks to the depth of the of the position, right? Just of you know, how, base, mu- yeah. how much differently he's ranked here rather than first base. Right. And, uh, you know, it, he and Miguel Sano have the same score. And I, we talked about at first base how LeMahieu and Andrew Vaughn has the same score. So transitive property Sano and Andrew Vaughn have the same score so if you like Miguel Sano for dynasty purposes that actually shows you how high I am on uh, on Andrew Vaughn and also by the way Alec Baum has the same score as all of them too and they go all in order 16 15 14 again that's Baum Sano and DJ LeMahieu the top 10 at the third base ranks here Yohan Moncada Matt Chapman at number nine Manny Machado, my man, at eight. Chris Bryant at seven. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at six. Anthony Rendon at five. And then Nolan Arenado, Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers, and Alex Bregman, number one. Little surprise here, Scott, that you have just a two in the confidence rating for Yuan Moncada. I know a couple of years ago, the strikeouts were out of control. I mean, he's he's been inconsistent, but last year did make some massive strides, but ultimately that doesn't, doesn't yeah, sway you enough to bad. Yeah. Went from terrible to bad. And look, it, it was, it was big for him. It, it took him from not being a fantasy asset to being a fantasy asset, even though he made high quality contact both of those years. Uh, it, you know, part of this, when, when I originally, like if you look back at my top 150 dynasty league, all positions combined, I originally put it together in December, uh, I do have Moncada with the three in the confidence category as opposed to a two, but I wasn't accounting enough for his upside. Then I feel like, so I changed his upside rating from a four to a five, five, you know, the only people with the present value of five are Alex Bregman, Jose Ramirez, Nolan Arenado and Anthony Rendon. I don't even give Rafael Devers a five for present value. So five is, you know, you're acknowledging a super high first, second round type ceiling if you give a guy a future value of five. But that meant I had to bump down the confidence ranking because I'm not confident. You know, how confident can I be that Yohan Mokata will really reach that level of upside? I think it's possible, but, you know, I'm not super confident in it. So I bumped it down from three to two. So that explains the two, Frank. The elf in the room. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. obviously had a dreadful season. I mean, I guess dreadful is a little bit harsh, but compared to what you know we were expecting, I mean, people had this guy in the Hall of Fame before he even made a, his major league debut, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. now checks in at number six. Again, he is 21 years old uh, compared to the man who is one spot ahead of him, Anthony Rendon, who is 30 years old. He's nine years the senior of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Adam, I guess we're kind of hoping that Vlad becomes Anthony Rendon, right? Or something similar to what we've seen the past couple of years. Like, that would be a pretty damn good outcome for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It's interesting. Yeah, Rendon last year. But last year was Rendon's best year. By far. Before that, Rendon was, like, a great player. But only elite in points leagues because of the plate discipline. He was very, really, really good in Roto, but probably more like a round two, three turn kind of player. Uh, if you, you've got to ha- think that Vladimir Guerrero has a chance to be the best hitter in baseball, right? I mean, let's dream big. That's what we do in dynasty leagues. 
so I would say that you're selling him a short somehow by saying you're hoping he becomes Anthony Rendon because I I'm assuming Rendon isn't quite as good as, as what he was last year that it would be look it'd be great but come on let's have a little fun this guy was he's Vladimir Guerrero he was in the hall his dad's in the hall of fame so maybe that's why people got confused uh, put him in the hall of fame before he debuted this guy's got the chance to be Scott's compared to Albert Pujols I don't want Anthony Rendon mm. I want Albert right. Pujols and I just want to say this I think there are eight third basemen that this time next year we could be talking about number one in the dynasty rankings. Um, although, okay, that's that's taking away age. So put it this way: eight third basemen who really could be the best third baseman, right? Like I, I don't think a year yeah. from now, no matter how good Rendon and Arenado were, you're going to put them number one because they're probably just a little too old. But Bregman, Devers, Ramirez, Arenado, Rendon, Vlad, Chris Bryant—that's the top seven for Scott. The eighth would be Moncada. I think he has so much more upside than the two guys just in front of him, Matt Chapman and Manny Machado. Moncada, and he's young enough and toolsy enough. This time next year, we could have him number one in the third base ranking. So, Scott, you're too low on Moncada. Move him ahead of Chapman. Move him ahead of Machado. I like it. You know, I'm a big Moncada fan, and I, I really trust a lot of what he um what he did last year and the prospect pedigree that comes with Moncada and uh, obviously, you know, all the progress that he's made. You know, Scott, if this were last year, how much higher would you have Vladimir Guerrero than he is on this list? Because he's number six. I feel like last year, if you were in a startup dynasty, Vlad was probably going late first round, early second round. Uh, I'm I'm actually I have dynasty rankings. I, this is the first time I've done position by position dynasty rankings, and it's it probably wouldn't have happened if we weren't in late June of a season that hasn't started yet. <laughs> but I can actually look up my top 100 combined rankings uh, from last year and see where Guerrero was. I got it pulled up right now. Let me see, Guerrero. I had him 18th overall, so certainly would have been high among third basemen. Let's count how many I have ahead of him: Machado. Bregman, Arenado, man, Machado was ahead of him. Ramirez, I said Arenado already. Yeah, so he would have been fifth, just behind just Arenado, Bregman, Machado, and uh, Ramirez. Who did I miss? Oh yeah, Jose Ramirez was third overall <laughs> in last year's Dynasty Top 100. So yeah, uh, Rendon obviously wouldn't have been in there ahead of him because he hadn't shown the same, quite the same upside. And Devers wouldn't have been ahead of Guerrero, which tells you a little something about recency bias, because obviously Devers was a huge prospect. He just didn't live up to his potential right away. He's only 23 years old. So uh, that 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 that's demonstrative of something right there. So yeah, I had Guerrero fourth in these rankings. Now I have him sixth. I mean, I don't think that's... You know, I, I clearly didn't penalize him that much for having a disappointing showing as a rookie, especially considering Rendon and Devers made the leaps they did. Those were the two that moved ahead of him. Um, I still give him a five for future rating for Guerrero. So I'm not, I don't think I'm discounting the upside here by ranking him sixth at the position. Do you realize that Arenado and Rendon have almost the same exact last name? <laughs> well, what are those things called where if you move the letters around? Like a can, jumble? I don't know. There's an actual word for it though. I don't know what it's called. I feel like we could make a palindrome out of their names because, like, 
a Rendon and Arenado. Like it's now Arenado's missing the second N that's in Rendon. That his first initial. If you go N Arenado, you can make Rendon. Is missing the second N, and he and has a two Rendon. A's. You can make Arenado. I uh, can't quite make Arenado. Yeah. <laughs> it's really though. <laughs> this is why I'm on the show. This is exactly why you're here. You know what, Adam? Speaking of Nolan Arenado, I'll throw you a Nolan Arenado question right now. We talked about this last week as well in uh, regards to trade targets in Dynasty. And I brought up the possibility of trying to trade Nolan Arenado away right now, which just sounds kind of ridiculous because his average season over the past five years is a 300 batting average, 40 homers, 104 runs scored, 124 RBI, and three steals. But we're starting to hear more of those whispers about him potentially getting traded. Would you try and trade Nolan Arenado right now if you own him in Dynasty, Adam? I sure would. I believe he is going to get traded. This could be his last year at Coors Field. And uh, he's amazing, but steals no bases. Um, Maybe. Yeah, trade him. I, I don't have much else to say because I've said it before. <laughs> I, I do think he's going to get traded. So I would not bank on him being a Colorado Rocky for that much longer. Well, Scott brought up that if you do try and trade him right now, you're probably going to get low ball offers because other people are thinking the same thing. Yeah, I, I, it's never a bad idea to try, right? You just can't, when you're trying, you can't go in with the idea that I have to do this. And you see major league teams do this all the time. How often do we hear about a big name being on the market and then he doesn't end up getting moved and we're frustrated. We, you know, we blame reporters for like, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. This guy didn't, but you know, a guy being on the market, you have to get a good enough offer to move him. And more often than not, you're not going to. I, I don't suspect you'll get a fair offer for Arenado. I think people will try to lowball you. I don't think the threat of him leaving Colorado is um, should be so scary that you feel like you have to move him. It wouldn't totally ruin him. It'll, it'll just move his value down a little bit. So, uh, you know, you shouldn't accept a lowball offer for him out of fear of him being moved. But that's not really where anybody's head is right now like that that storyline about him being upset with the rockies front office is like it feels like it was 100 years ago right <laughs> seriously does we've been through since then so you know maybe among more casual fantasy baseballers uh it won't even cross their mind and they'll just be happy to trade for the guy who competes for the triple crown every year frank would you take moncada or arenado in dynasty hmm in a vacuum, You're separated by like six spots yeah. in Scott's it, rankings. In a vacuum, I, I would still take Nolan Arenado. Let's hear your top five. Top five? Um, I don't disagree with Bregman being number one. I mean, you guys know that I love Rafael Devers, and we've done a few startup mock drafts um, already, startup dynasty mock drafts. And I think I've had a late first round pick in both of those. And I took Rafael Devers both times in the first round. So I do have a lot of confidence in him. I like him going second. Uh, Jose Ramirez is still 27 years old. I like the possibility of him um, bouncing back. And I think we saw that last year. Um, so I don't have a problem with that. He's good in roto. He's good in points. He makes a lot of contact. Good play discipline. I think 2018, he was actually the top scoring hitter in points league. So really not far removed uh, from being great in that format. You know, I think... Fourth, I would probably have Vladimir Guerrero. I would, I would have Vladimir Guerrero fourth. And then 
Yeah, I mean, I, I do kind of worry about Arenado, but I'll, I'll put him fifth on this list. But I, w- I would put Vladimir Guerrero ahead of him. I would put him fourth. So for me, Bregman, Devers, Jose Ramirez, Vladimir Guerrero, and then Nolan Arenado fifth in Dynasty. And I would take him over Yoel Moncada. But I like Moncada, man. I'm a big fan. Any dispute there? Would you have Moncada ahead of Red and Down? No, probably just behind him. I would say okay. seventh. Yeah, I could I could be talked into moving uh, Moncada as high as seventh. I have him tenth. And the three guys that were divided on are Matt Chapman, Manny Machado, Chris Bryant. All three, I give a higher confidence rating for Yohan Moncada. And look, I think of those four, Moncada is clearly the most likely to bust, right? And that would, you know, any long-term ambitions you have at that point, if a guy busts, he busts, and he's just worthless to you. So it's important in a it's it's actually more important in a dynasty context than in a redraft draft context not to overvalue upside because downside you, you go from having a long-term asset to not there's there's nothing yeah. worse in a dynasty league than that so um yeah that's ultimately why I rank Moncada behind Bryant Machado and Chapman but they all have the same combined score so it becomes a matter of preference. Yeah. So you're it, you're just splitting hairs at that point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and my my hair splits on the side of abundance of caution. So Moncada's last. But if it, <laughs> it, you know if you're thinking in terms of upside, he probably would be first. Scared money don't make money, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> you all Moncada. I just think one of these guys that um, probably not going to hit 300 again because he had a massive Babbitt. But if he hits 280, 290 over the course of a full season, I think he'd get the power back up. 30 homers, double-digit steals. I mean, that's the type of upside that we're talking about with a player uh, like Mankata. So it's a preference for me, but I would probably have him you know, closer to that top five, six or seven. Again, you can find Scott White's first base and third base dynasty ranks over on CBSSports.com. Uh, and over the next couple of days, we're going to talk about his middle infield ranks. So we'll uh, stop it there, guys. Let, let Adam, uh, you know, try and salvage the weekend, man. I'm sorry, <laughs> bud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's okay, man. Thank you, and happy Father's Day to everybody. Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay, happy I Father's Day to all the dads out there. For Scott and Adam, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. Make sure that you subscribe and hit that little bell so every time we upload another video, you get a notification. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.